Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. The text that I chose this morning is Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, where Jesus made the statement that he came not to destroy the law of the prophets, but to fulfill and he said, until there will be not one jot of one tittle that will pass from the law until all be fulfilled. Now, in his discussion with the law, in order for us to fully understand what he's talking about in this text, we need to understand what he's talking about in reference to the law and the prophets, obviously. So we go back to the Old Testament. So let's take, just take a little historical journey in the past for a minute. And go back to some of the early promises made in the Bible. And we're, of course, we're talking about the law that, it, that is detailed in the Bible. When he talks about the law, he's talking about that document that was given or that instruction that was given by Moses on the Mount Sinai. Now, before that, to begin with, he's talking to a specific type of people. And these people were descendants of a man called Abraham. And you can read about him in Genesis in chapter 12. And Abraham was given a promise that through his seed, that is his descendants, God was going to bless all nations, the whole world. Now we're enjoying those blessings now. But that, that was a promise made then to Abraham. Abraham had a son by the name of Isaac. And that through Isaac, that promise was going to come. Then Isaac had a son... He had two sons, actually, Jacob and Esau. But he chose Jacob as the one who would carry out the promise. And Jacob had 12 sons. And from these 12 sons came what we call the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, the nation of Israel was taken into Egyptian captivity, not purposefully, not, not originally. They went into Egyptian captivity because they were invited into Egypt by one of the sons, Joseph, who had made a place in Egypt for them and brought them as his family into the nation of Egypt. When they got there, after a while, it, it uh, developed that uh, there was a Pharaoh who came into power who didn't know Joseph and didn't know Jacob and didn't know Israel as his uh, predecessors had, and he put Israel into bondage. And then you probably understand and know this from some historical references that Moses came along and Moses was chosen of God to bring Israel, the nation, who were carrying the promises that God had made to bless all nations into that nation called Israel. And Moses brought Israel out of Egyptian bondage and took them to the land of Canaan. And on the way to the land of Canaan, when they came through the Sinai Peninsula, they came to Mount Sinai and Moses went up on the mountain and there he received the law. Now, what Moses, Moses received was basically he, he received the base of the law, which was the Ten Commandments. Most of us could probably recite those. We know what the Ten Commandments are. You'll, uh, there is one God that you'll have no other gods before me, no, I, I, no idols that you'll not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You remember the Sabbath. 
that uh, you'll honor your father and your mother, that you'll, uh, you'll not commit any murder, that you will not commit adultery, that you will not steal, that you will not uh, perjure yourself, and that you'll not covet your neighbor's property, his wife, and so forth. So the basis of the law that Jesus is talking about when he says not one jot or one tittle shall pass from the law till all be fulfilled, he's talking about that Ten Commandment law, the basis of the rest of the law. Now, in addition to this, Moses also received what the Israelites have over the centuries developed into what they call 16 or 613 different laws that are related to the law of Moses. 613 or 633, depending on who you talk to. Now that's what they call the law. And then the prophets, of course, are those individuals who spoke who were living under the law for the period of time actually after the law had been established. So the, the law itself, and that's called in the, in, in the terminology of Israel, that's called the Torah, the Torah, the, the law. And that, that's usually found, you can find it in the book of uh, Exodus, beginning about chapter 20, and Leviticus, and, and Numbers, and, and then Deuteronomy repeats the whole thing all over again. So these books actually embodied what is called the law. So what Jesus is talking about, when he talks to these people, what they understood was, he's talking about that basis of their relationship to God. That God taught, told them what he wanted them to do. Okay, that's the basis of it. Now, let's understand something before we get too much further. This law was written down. It was memorialized. It was stated in a concrete form. It, was, it does not depend upon oral tradition. Now, sometimes when we think about history, ancient history, we think in terms of oral tradition, passing a story of history down through the ages. But in order to make sure that that history is accurate and the individual's are represented properly in their proper order. And the things that are said are said and diagnosed properly and then set down properly. It's written down. That's how you memorialize something. Writing things down is very important. It's extremely important. The early forms of writing took place before Moses, actually 3,000 years before Jesus, we find evidences that there was writing in the Sumerian culture. And that writing took place on, on what were known as cuneiform tablets, which are little tablets that were originally started out as soft clay. And then the writing that took place on it was done with a stylus while the clay was soft, and then it was placed in the sun and hardened. And they made grocery lists, they made documents, they made contracts out of these particular tablets. They were made out of not stone, but clay tablets. And we've discovered a great number of these. So when God gave Moses the law, you know what he did with the Ten Commandments? He wrote them in stone. 
in stone, but the finger of God, it says. And when Moses came down from the mountain and he found the children of Israel at the base of the mountain committing idolatry and involved in in fornication and activities that they shouldn't have been involved in, Moses took the two tables of stone and and, uh, destroyed them, threw them down and broke them. So when Moses went back on the mountain to get the commandments again, God said, you bring the stones, you bring the writing material, then we'll write on them up here. You'll write on them. I don't know how long it took Moses to do that. He was up there 40 days and 40 nights. I know that. But anyway, he went up there. And in addition to this, in addition to those tables of stone, God had him write down in a book, probably a scroll, all the other regulations and, and, and things that he wanted him to tell Israel. And he took that book, that scroll, and he said, I want you to make an ark, a little vessel of wood. And when Moses took the vessel of wood and the writing material up on the mountain, then he wrote down everything that Moses should tell the children of Israel. And he took those scrolls and put it in that ark. And he said, I want this ark to be placed in the place where I'm going to meet with you. So here was the scroll. Here was the ark. Here was the, here was the place where Moses was going to carry all that information. And then he went ahead and gave him all the other information that he wanted him to have in regarding to sacrifices, feast days, different prohibitions of different things that they were supposed to do in their culture, in their behavior to one another. And he wrote all of that down. And when all of that was written down, and it also involved the, the building of the tabernacle that he wanted Israel to have and to meet with him in, he made that tabernacle. Then he made what is called the Ark of the Covenant which is a big box. And the box had the two cherubim over it with the big wings that stood over it and it was overlaid with gold. And he said, on the side of this, on the side of this ark, I want you to put a copy of this book that I've given you. Of all the things he wrote down, he wrote the copy of the book and put it in that ark. And that's where it was kept. And then he put the two tables of stone in that ark as well. And then a cup of manna and Aaron's rod that budded and things like that. But that was placed there because God felt like and God knew that it had to be a permanent fixture with Israel. What he said to them needed to be memorialized, categorized, and placed in their possession in what is called Scripture. Now, The reason this is important, and I think we can all see that. We should be able to see it. The reason this is important is that in in terms of oral commands and oral statements, when I say something to you, you may not get everything that I'm saying right. You may not remember what I'm saying. There's a parlor trick or a parlor game that people play and have played for a while where several people will get together in a, in a room where they're, they're playing games, and they'll sit spaced apart where they cannot hear each other when they whisper. Maybe 10 or 12 people will be in a big circle. And one will start a story. They'll write the story down. Just a one, one sentence. They'll write that sentence down, and they'll whisper that to the next person. And the next person whispers it to the next person, and the next person, and the next person, and the next person next person, next person. And when it gets back, they, they, they take the piece of paper out and say, okay, what was said? 
And it's never the same. It is never the same. And most of the time, it's longer for some reason. Anyway, oral history has that problem. That if you try to repeat something orally, that it's, that it's, going, to, it's going to change. Now, Israel had the law. They had what God had wanted them to know. And it was written down. It was called Scripture. But they also had what they called oral law, which meant they interpreted the Scripture. And their teachers, their leaders, wrote all of that down too. Their oral tradition, they wrote that down as to what the Scriptures mean. And it's called the Mishnah. And they still have that. It's not Israel anymore because Israel was divided eventually. Israel was divided between ten tribes and two tribes. Israel, which was the major portion of this nation, went into captivity, Assyrian captivity, about 700 years before Christ. And the other two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, went south to Jerusalem in that area, and they became known as the Jews. So every Israelite is not a Jew. A Jew is one who descends from that area, either from Judah or Benjamin, they're called Jews. But it, today, if you were to look for an Israelite, what you would find would be what we term today as a Jew. That's what they called themselves. And they called this Jewish law. But it was initially Israel's law. And when Jesus was talking about the law, he was talking about the Scripture. He was not talking about their oral tradition. He wasn't talking about that. If you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you'll find that Jesus is talking about the difference between their oral interpretations of the law and the law itself. Matter of fact, he'll say, you have heard that it had been said of them of old time. He's referring to their tradition. Not the law, but to their tradition. But what he's talking about here at this point is, He's talking about the, the scriptures that have been transcribed and handed down. And when he talks about this, he's telling them the law, as, you, as we know it, is going to be fulfilled. That's his point. And he's saying not one jot or one tittle shall depart from it or vanish away and to be done away with until it is all finished, the law and the prophets. Now these people, obviously... If God is talking to these people, Israel, and he's communicating his will to them and not to anybody else, he's communicating his will to Israel. And that's why we find in the Bible two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament was what they call Scripture. That's what we call Scripture too. That means writing. Writing, not oral, not traditions, not things carried down. Scripture. Now, these people were very reverent toward the Scripture. They were very concerned that they got it right, and they wrote it down right, and they, that they preserved it right, because these were words from God. When we decide that we want something to remain permanent, we put it in writing. We're living in an age 
that thinks that we can get away from writing, from documents. We think that we can, we can say something and record it, like we're recording this, or say something and record it like we are on a, on a microphone or a tape recording, that we can, we can record something like on a hologram, and that will do, but that won't do. Anytime we have anything that we want to make it permanent, we write it down. It's written down. It's documented. It's there permanently. Now, they knew that. We know that. And we know that it, it's important that we have it in what we call black and white. Black letters on white paper. We need to be able to see it, and we need to be able to read it. They understood that as well as we do because basically it is God talking to them. When our kids were little, I could tell one of the kids to do something and the kid may say, the, the, my daughter or son may say, I didn't understand you so I didn't do it this way. Well, the way to correct that would be for me to write down what I wanted them to do. That would correct it. Because then they could come back to it and say, well, here's what he said. Not what he thought, not what he felt, not what he considered, but what he said. So we write it down. And when we buy a house, we put it in a document and we write it down. When we enter into a contract, it's not just a handshake. It used to be just a handshake because a man's word was as good as hit the man himself. But anymore, we have to have something in writing. And that's... that's a, that's, that's a good perspective to have. So God had His Word written down. It's called Scripture. And these people treated, the Israelites treated, the Word of God, Scripture, with deep devotion and reverence. They held it up as, as something that was different from anything else in this world. This is what God said. And we know what it is because we can read it. Here it is. There were two times in Israel's history, only two times that I'm aware of, and that came after the division between Israel and Judah, that most of the nation was gathered together to hear the Word of God read from the Scripture. One was in the day of uh, Josiah, and he had, uh, he, they, they had found the writing, a fellow by the name of Hilkiah, which is a priest, had found the, the book, the written record, the scriptures, in the temple area. And he came and told Josiah about it. And then Shaphan the scribe read the scriptures to Josiah. And then they read them to all of Israel. They gathered all the nation together and said, here's the word of God. And they read it to them. They had it in permanent written form. It wasn't just a rumor. It wasn't just something that their fathers passed down to them. It was the actual Scripture, the words of God that had been inspired by the prophets, that had been written down, the words of Moses. They had them, the Scripture, and they gathered the whole people together and said, hear the Word of God. Here's what God has said. And there it was. That was the proof. Another time was in the days of Nehemiah and, and uh, Ezra, when they were rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem after they came back from Babylonian captivity, and then they got the people together 
that were in Jerusalem, and they read the scripture to them, and they did it for seven days. Now, a lot of people complain when they come to church services and sit in a pew for an hour, the preacher preaches too long. These guys read this scriptures for seven days, and the people are out there listening to them. And it started raining, and they had to build some booths and, and take care of business that way. But what we're, what we're talking about is the fact that they had a deep, deep reverence for the scriptures. And he told, Moses told the children of Israel, he said, take the words, the commandments, and write them down. The Ten Commandments, I'm sure, is what he's talking about in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He said, take these Ten Commandments and write them on your hands and put them, put them over your forehead and put them on the posts of your doors. And when you go out and go in, read those Ten Commandments. Get them, get them down. Figure out what they are and remember them. These are the Scriptures. The Jews held the Scriptures in the highest, the highest regard. So when Jesus is talking about the law, he's talking about a people who reverence that book. He's talking about people who, who understood what he was referring to. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. He said, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God, which he had pro promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The Holy Scriptures. These were distinct words. These were scriptures, and they understood that. Jesus acknowledged their understanding and their reverence for the scriptures. When he was reading the scriptures, reading the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, in his hometown of Nazareth, recorded in the book of Luke in chapter 4, and when he, when he quoted Isaiah, chapter 61, he closed the book, he gave it again to the minister and sat down and the eyes of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. What's he referring to? When he refers to the scripture, he's talking about the word of God. Here's what God said to you. Not what I'm saying to you. Here's what God said to you. This is scripture. On another occasion, when Jesus was in a controversy with some of those who were around him, and they were saying that he should not be telling them he was the Son of God, he said in John chapter, verse, chapter 10, verse 35, he said, If he called them gods, unto whom the word of God came, and the Scripture cannot be broken. Jesus said, you can't break the Scriptures. And when he wanted them to recognize who he was, you know what he did? He didn't say, I, I've got some folks that will bear witness of me and tell you, tell you who I am. You know what he said? He said, search the Scriptures. They are they that you think, where you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. John chapter 5, and verse 39. When the apostles struck out after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when they went out to preach the gospel and preach the kingdom, they appealed to the Scriptures for their authority. So if someone asked them in the Jewish community, what are you doing? They're going to say, we're following the Scriptures. What did they mean by that? The Old Testament writings that God had given to the prophets and to Moses. The Old Testament writings. In Acts chapter 1 verse 16, you remember Judas Iscariot had betrayed Jesus. 
And when he, when he took his own life, when the apostles got back together, Jesus was with them for a number of days. And then when he left, they came back together, waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit in the city of Jerusalem, waiting for the promise that God had made to them. And Peter stood up with them and he said, Men and brethren, he said, This scripture must needs be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of David, spoke before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. This scripture, this writing, this is what God said, and it's in writing, and it has to be fulfilled. Paul depended upon the scriptures when he went out preaching in Asia, and he was among all the Jews that had gone into Asia, and he was trying to establish the fact that Jesus was the Christ, in chapter 17 at verse 2 of Acts, it says, They came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. So how am I going to prove that Jesus is the Christ? I'm going to go to the Scriptures, to that which is written, not, what that, not the oral tradition handed down, but that which is written. By the way, before I get too far away from the oral and the written information, the Mishnah is the, the Jewish commentary on the Scriptures. The Mishnah. What it means is that they, they took the 613 or 633 different laws that they thought they found in the Old Testament, and then they commented on them, said, here's what they mean. That's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. You've heard that them of old Hannah said, because it was oral. They, they were hearing these things. But they said, you know what? We're going, to have to, we're going to have to memorialize our oral tradition. So, 200 years A.D., 200 A.D., which would be 1,800 years ago, a fellow by the name of Judah, a rabbi, decided that they better take those oral traditions and write them down. See what's going on? Let's make them permanent. So now then they wrote all of the oral traditions and wrote them down and put them alongside the Torah. So you have the Torah, which is the law. You have the prophets. You have the Psalms and so forth, the writing of the Psalms and the Proverbs and so forth. And you have the Mishnah, which are the interpretations of what they thought the law meant. Okay, so now then, that's what their books are, are, are contain. But they had to memorialize them. They had to put them down in writing. Why are we so concerned about what is written? How readest thou what is written? Because these are the words of God. We're not concerned about tradition because tradition has nothing to do with what God said except that, that the tradition, the oral tradition tells us what we think they might have meant. That's what the Jews have, have established as far as their tradition is concerned. But Paul did not appeal to their tradition. He appealed to their scriptures. He appealed to the scriptures that you can read in the Old Testament. He went back and said, we know that this is the Christ because of the scriptures. And then in chapter 17 and at verse 11 of Acts, it says he went on from Thessalonica, he went down to Berea, 
and he found some people in Berea, and it says these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word, the gospel, with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so. They were searching the scriptures, the Old Testament. They were looking at the Old Testament law, the Old Testament prophets, those words that were written down by inspiration that God gave to the prophets. Apollos was a Jew who was said to be mighty in the scriptures in Acts chapter 18 verse 28. And he mightily convinced the Jews publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So they did this by the scriptures. We, we do not dispose of the Old Testament. Now that's, that's a point we would need to keep very much in mind. The Bible is a complete book. And the part that we call the Old Testament is what they call the Scriptures. And we can call them that too. The New Testament is also called Scriptures. But we're talking about the Old Testament and what it did. And Jesus said, it's going to be fulfilled. That's what he said. It's going to be fulfilled. In the writing of the book of Corinthians, Paul rested his own convictions on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and on the gospel that he was preaching on the Scriptures. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4, it says, I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that He was buried and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So He's referring back to the Old Testament and saying the Scriptures laid the basis, the writings, the writings that God revealed and then they were committed to a permanent form called the Scriptures. And when Jesus, after His resurrection, came to His apostles, the men that He was going to send into the world, in Luke chapter 24, verse 25 through 27, He said unto them, O fools, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and enter into His glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded unto them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Not the oral traditions, but the Scriptures. He's going back to Scriptures. In Luke 24, verse 44 and 45, He said unto them, These are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures, the writings. Okay. The law and the prophets were fulfilled. That's what we need to pay attention to. They were fulfilled. You see the glasses being filled with water? The first one is starting, the second one is a little taller than the third and the fourth. Finally, the last one is full, full, fulfilled. You can't get anything else in it. It's complete. So what Jesus was saying was that the law and the prophets were fulfilled, came about and completed their job when I came and when I died on the cross and I rose again. He said, these are the scriptures that had been fulfilled, the law and the law of Moses and the prophets. They were fulfilled, the scriptures were fulfilled, first of all, by bringing the world to the cross. You say, well, how can I use the Old Testament? 
when you go to the Old Testament and you read the giving of the law, and you read about the judges, and you read about the kings, then you read the prophets, and you read the Psalms, and you read the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, you read all of that, what it is designed to do, my friend, is to bring you to the cross of Calvary. It brings you to Jesus. You say, well, I... Is it going to be... Take, was, was the Old Testament destroyed? No. What happened to the Old Testament? It's still here. How do you use it? You let it bring you to Jesus. To the cross. That's what it's doing. In Galatians chapter 5, at verse 24, it says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. After faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. So it was, it was given to bring us unto Christ. The law taught us what sin is. You know, the Ten Commandments, if you, if you read the Ten Commandments, you say, well, are those still in effect? Yes, they're still in effect. Why? How? Because they teach us what sin is. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 7, verse 7. He says, what should we say then? Is the law sin? He said, God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. And then he continued in Romans chapter 3, verse 19, when he says, We know that whatsoever things the law says, it says to all them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. You are under the law until you come into Christ. Then you're relieved of that. Paul said it again in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. He said, We know that the law was, was good if a man used it lawfully. If you use it lawfully. How do you use the law lawfully? Well, it, 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 it identifies sin for us. It tells us what sin is. And if without the law, we wouldn't know. That's what Paul said. I would have never known what it was. The law was our training ground. The examples given to us are, us, are for us to learn from and to avoid the pitfalls of disobedience to God. For instance, Romans chapter 15, verse 4 says, For whatsoever things were written before time were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So the law was our training ground. It brought us up to the time that we can understand and know about Jesus Christ. It was a concrete shadow of heavenly things that occurs in our hearts. Now, if you look back in the Old Testament law, you'll find that there's a tabernacle there. And you'll find that there was a system of sacrifices. These systems of sacrifices should have been an example of the sacrifice of Jesus and the sacrifice of the place or the, or the definition of the place where we can meet with God. Hebrews chapter 10 at verse 1 says, The law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. So as long as you live under the law and you don't let it bring you to Jesus Christ, you'll never reach perfection or being completed in Jesus Christ. So the law is a shadow. We look back at the tabernacle and we say, well, what does the tabernacle represent? My friend, the tabernacle represents where you meet with God. You know where you meet with God? You meet with God in your heart. That's His temple. That's His tabernacle. That's, that's where Jesus comes. Christ is in our heart. And that's where he's going to, going to join himself with us. 
In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, we're told that the sacrifices being changed, there's made also a change of the law. Jesus fulfilled the purposes of the law and gave to the believers a new law. And that new law is the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus that has made us free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8 at verse 2. So Hebrews chapter 7 verse 12 tells us that the priesthood was changed. There's made of necessity a change also of the law. Now let's, let's go back and look at this in just a minute. Because the law, Jesus said the law was fulfilled. Because the law was fulfilled, does that mean that the Ten Commandments no longer apply to us? See, that's the question. It means that, does it mean that uh, you can have another God? Because the first commandment is the Lord your God is one God. Does it, does it mean that you can worship an idol? That you can take the name of the Lord God in vain? That you can disobey your parents? That you can cheat and steal and murder and covet? Someone says, well, what about the Sabbath? You know, the Sabbath had a purpose too. The purpose of the Sabbath was to understand that we need to spend some time with God. The Sabbath was given for these people to take a day off out of every week, one day out of the week, and think about God. Think about what God had done for them. So we say, okay, we're not under the Old Testament law any longer because Jesus fulfilled everything. So we're not on the Sabbath. We don't have to think about God anymore. We don't, have to, we don't have to set aside any time for God anymore because we don't live on the Old Testament law. So let's just put Him out of our mind, put Him out of our, out of our way, and we just go about our business. We just, we just do what we want to do because we don't have to keep the Sabbath. We don't have to keep the Sabbath. Well, they kept the Sabbath. God had them keep the Sabbath so they would understand what He did and who He was. One day out of the week, that's all you do. You think about God. You think about what He did for you. We know that in Hebrews chapter 4 that the text is telling us that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And that Sabbath rest that we have is called heaven. It's coming. That's what the Sabbath pictured. It was a type. There's a difference between a type and an antitype. A type is actually a figure, a prototype of something that's to come. So it represents something else. So you could, you could have, for instance, you could have the sacrifice of Isaac. Abraham took Isaac up on the mountain and was going to sacrifice him. You can say, okay, that's a type of the father sacrificing his son on the cross. But the antitype or the archetype is Jesus himself. The type was the shadow. It was a mere semblance of it. But the reality was Jesus and his father at the cross. So that's the difference between a type and an antitype, or a type and a dark type. A shadow and a reality. The reality is Jesus. So when we talk about the law, we understand that we're looking back at something that is spiritual. We're looking at the Old Testament and saying, okay, here's, here are the commandments. And the commandments should have told us that we're sinners. We look at the Old Testament law and we look at all those thou shalt not, things that you should do and should not do, and we, we're not saying that we, we just lay that aside and say, okay, 
It's all right. We can commit adultery. It doesn't make any difference anymore. The Old Testament's gone. Jesus fulfilled them. He fulfilled them. He didn't destroy them. He fulfilled them. He took them out of the way and he, he replaced the commandments by his own commandments that are spiritual in nature. And he defines them for us. So we look to Jesus for our comfort. We look to Jesus for our direction. And we look to Jesus for the relief from the commandments. Now the idea is that if we go back to the Old Testament and try to keep the commandments, we're trying to do everything on our own. We're trying to say, okay, I can without fail do everything the commandment tells me to do. The rich young ruler did this, remember in Matthew chapter 19. He came to Jesus and said, what good thing should I do? to inherit eternal life. Jesus said, keep the commandments. And the young man said, which ones? And so Jesus rehearsed the commandments that had to do with this fellow man. And the young man said, I've done all these from my youth up. What next? Jesus said, okay. Sell what you have. Give to the poor and come follow me. Come follow me. That's where the commandments should lead you. Jesus said, that's okay. You did, you did okay. Come follow me. Help the poor Come follow me. And that's what we say when we look at the Old Testament and say, well, did, did Jesus fulfill the commandments? He did. And what does he say now? Go back to the Old Testament and try to be righteous according to the strictures of the law? Or what does he say? He says, come follow me. Come follow me. God help you do the, that today.